0: Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. wow What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck?
1: With Mark Marin.
0: Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking knots? What the fuck nicks? Whatever you want to call yourselves, this is Mark Maron. This is WTF. This is my podcast. You are listening to it. I'm grateful for that. I'm happy you're getting so much out of what it is I do here. I believe I am, too. According to you guys, I am. Seems like things are okay, right? I don't know about that. You know, things, uh, look, look. life throws us many fucking curveballs. And, you know, sometimes I just, I don't know what the hell to do. But I, I tell you, by doing this podcast, I I don't know. I find strength in it. I like doing it. I'm I'm sort of addicted to doing it. I'm out here. I got the heater going. It's cold in L.A. I know that to some of you, you're thinking, oh, is it, Mark? Is it cold in L.A.? How cold is it? Like 58 degrees cold. I don't know what it is. Yeah, hold on. I'll check. Yeah. Yeah, it's like 56 degrees cold. It's not that cold, but I don't know. There's a chill to it. Maybe I've become a pussy. Have I become a pussy because I live in Los Angeles? I was just in New York And people are complaining about, oh, it's getting really cold. And It wasn't even that cold there. Maybe, who the fuck knows, I got the heater going. That's all I know. Hey, you know, I want to plug a gig that it's sort of specific because I don't really know how many people are out in my hometown in Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening to my show. But on December 26th at the Cell Theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I will be doing a Boxing Day show. Which is kind of funny. I, I had posters made. I told the guy that does my artwork, it's Boxing Day, so maybe you can come up with a theme. And he didn't know what that meant, so he created a poster with a boxing theme. And I don't really know what Boxing Day is, but it's uh, something to do with, uh, you know, in, in English culture, old English culture, when there was a class system, when, as if that's not over, uh, you know, the, the help would get the day off, the day after Christmas, and, and they'd get uh, a little bit of a bonus or. You know, uh, you know, they get to maybe spend time with their kids. I I don't think it has a it's a somewhat noble uh, history to Boxing Day, but I'm not exactly clear what it is. But whatever the case, I'm doing that show in Albuquerque on the 26th with Nato Green and Alex Kroll. Now, you all know my dad. Now, here was the interesting thing about this particular gig is uh, the guys who I'm doing it with are from San Francisco and they've got family there. They called me. They said, Why don't we do a show there? Are you going to be there over Christmas? I said, Well, it would give me an excuse to go there. You know, my father and his uh, insanity is not always enough for me to go out there. So I figured this would be a good way to kill two birds with one stone, do a show, you know, pay for the trip, see the old man, you know, deal with that thing, do a show for him. You know, just to get through it. You understand how it goes. You know my dad a little bit. You've heard him on the show. So I tell my dad I'm doing it. So, of course, he immediately makes it about him. And he thinks, like, well, hell, I, I can fill that room. We can, uh, you know, I'll get a bunch of my patients to go. That's all I need is a bunch of my dad's pain management clinic patients. A bunch of people that I could probably just as well, you know, walk into any AA meeting and get them to go. So I said, yeah, don't worry about it. You yeah, know, I got friends there. We're going to see what we get. and uh, But it will be, be nice to see you. A few weeks ago, I get a call from uh, NATO Green, comic up in San Francisco, who's sort of organizing this thing. He says, "I got a call from the theater. He wants to know whether or not we'd be interested in in selling the entire show out to a single patron." So I immediately think, like, "Well, no. I mean, it's not a private event. We, you, you know, who is it? What kind of is it? A corporate group? What is it? Yeah, you know, we don't know what it is. And I want people to be able to, you know, come see us, you know, old friends of mine, and and make it for everybody." And he said, Yeah, I don't know. I didn't do any research. Let me talk to the guy at the theater. So I I get off of that email. And I'm sitting at home and I'm, you know, doing my business. And I realize, Oh, fuck. You got to be kidding me. So I call my old man and I say, Hey, Pops, you know, did you get tickets to the show? He says, Yeah, I got eight tickets. I go, Yeah. And anything else? No, I got eight tickets. You know, I asked the guy how much the place held. And I'm like, Uh huh. Anything else? And he goes, Yeah, yeah. I, I asked him what it would cost to, uh, you know, to maybe get the, you know, buy the whole show out. And I go, uh-huh. He goes, yeah, you know, it didn't cost that much. Yeah, I, c- I could probably do it. I'm like, dad, this isn't about you. This isn't your event. This isn't your show. I appreciate that you'd like to, uh, to make it about you. And I, I certainly appreciate that in some twisted narcissistic way. This is pride, but you can't buy out the entire theater. All right. You just can't. He's like, all right. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I. You know, I just, you know, I thought it would be, you know, I got a lot of patience and a lot of people I wanted. All right, okay. Can we just, you know, could you not do that? I love you. I appreciate it. But could you not do that? So then I had to call NATO back and say, it was my dad. So that show again at the Cell Theater, Albuquerque, New Mexico, December 26th at 8 p.m. Come down, make the trip. It'll be fun. Albuquerque's beautiful. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for the gifts that are coming in. I do, I have to say again that I have very interesting fans and they send me very interesting gifts, you know, relative to things I talk about on this show sometimes. I think I got one of the more interesting gifts. I guess I talked about sponges. Does anyone re- remember me talking about sponges and stinky sponges and how they get stinky? I don't know, but I got a Christmas card, very lovely card, snow scene on the front, season greetings, uh, happy Hanukkah. Uh, here are the crocheted. Dish cloths. I promised now you can throw away your sponges from dawn and Colin so now I've got crocheted dish cloths which are white which are going to get pretty ugly once I start washing dishes but thank you then I got some other things I got a envelope filled with buttons that said in 1087 the bones of Santa Claus were stolen by pirates that's the button look I'm no stranger to big ideas uh, re uh, nerdcock shirts. Anyone remember? Nerdcock. So I get this letter from this guy, Sorin. Hey, Mark, earlier this year I learned a historical fact that's got me saying what the fuck all through the holidays. In 1087, the bones of Santa Claus were stolen by pirates. I shall explain. St. Nicholas was a Greek born in 270 A.D., died 343 A.D. He was a patron saint of Asia Minor, and when he died, his bones were kept as holy relics in a monastery in the city of Myra, near what is now Demra. Turkey? Am I saying that right? Or dim? I, I'm not sure. In 1071, the Roman Empire lost a battle to the invading Turks, yielding control of that area and the monastery and the bones to the Turkish Muslims. This worried the Italian Catholics. So in 1087, some Italian sailors translated the bones from Myra, Turkey, to Bari, Italy. In other words, in 1087, the bones of Santa Claus were stolen by pirates. That is the kind of world we live in. Is it? I mean, that's 1087. I, I would hope that we've moved forward a little bit since then. But thank you for the buttons uh, that say in 1087 the bones of Santa Claus were stolen by pirates. And now, like, if I really want to explain it, when people go, what the fuck does that mean? You'll have to do a little more research, more than just saying this is the kind of world we live in, because then they'll look at me like I'm a lunatic. Another email that I enjoyed, if I could, you don't mind me sharing. And this is sort of a testament to, I guess, the, the, the creative journey Years ago in San Francisco, I took a, an acting class at a place called Mark Monroe Studios. My teacher was a woman named Shari Shari Carlson, who opened up her own studio uh, here in Los Angeles and in San Francisco, Shari Carlson Studios. I haven't heard from her in probably 10 years. And that was one of those classes where, not unlike many acting classes, there is sort of a... a a kind of wise teacher slash, you know, almost cult leader slash guru who runs the acting class and just guides a bunch of, you know, relatively anxious, crazy, raw, usually, uh, uh, you know, confused, you know, people through this emotional obstacle course to get them to express themselves. She teaches voices as, as well. And I took this class for maybe a year or so. And it was one of those classes where you, you do scenes and and, you know, usually... Hey, generally, you know, someone would cry in the scene, you know, no matter what the scene is. It could be, you know, a Neil Simon show could be, you know, you can't take it with you. It doesn't matter. At some point when you're starting out as an actor in these type of classes, uh, you, you cry. And, and there's always a reason to cry either during the scene or, or during the, uh, the sort of post mortem of the scene where you're you're getting instruction from. In this case, it would be Shari. And I know at that time I was with a, a woman that you know, became my first wife. Uh, we weren't married yet, and I was, you know, in trouble and spiraling. And, you know, and, and my wife was or my girlfriend at that time was taking the class. So I took the class and you know did my own. Yeah, you know, I didn't cry. Usually I would find a reason to to rage around and scream any sort of intensity, any sort of uh, kind of you know, cry for help, you know, in the form of, of, of uh, you know, building a craft, which I'm not saying isn't building a craft. Yeah, I definitely had a great experience. I can't say I didn't learn anything, but I did have you know, a lot of emotions around that process. And certainly in, in acting classes, you learn, you know, how to, to, you know, be public with your emoting, which I seem to have taken way too far, but nonetheless, so I get a letter from Shari saying hi and basically saying, uh, you know, look, uh, you know, I could use uh, a little bit of, um, of help at the studio, you know, the economy's kind of, you know, hurt the, uh, the arts and, and people, uh, you know, I, I could use uh, you know a little at, uh, attention and, and maybe some students. If and we do this by word of mouth. And the interesting thing about this letter was, you know, without even thinking, it was almost like I was you know switched on like a Manchurian candidate. You know, like you know that all of a sudden this woman who I haven't talked to in a long time that had a place in my life as a teacher and 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 guided me through some you know relatively you know, you know profound emotional exercises. Uh, in this acting class, you know, I, I literally read three sentences and something in my main, you know, in my mind just clicked like must help Shari must do must do what's necessary for Shari. And it's just interesting, the impact of of past emotional experience uh, that it has on your life and and and, and that it really guides your life or, or can be switched on or off at any given point in your life uh, to 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 good results or bad results but I learned something recently that self-awareness once it becomes intellectualized once where you know you can actually say in conversation yeah my mom was like this my dad was like this I'm like this you know this is my struggle you know sometimes I do this because my mom did this or I you know I grew up with this or whatever that that pattern that emotional dialogue actually insulates you from from feeling the feelings around that shit like self-awareness you know can just be another shield of armor because then you can just say, "Oh yeah, that's because of this." So what are you doing about that? Well, I don't fucking know. Like, you know, I know about it. I know I have it, but you know, hopefully one day something will shake you to your core and connect all of that self-awareness to actual feelings in your guts and force you to make a change. God damn it! I hate growing. I hate emotional, you know, upheaval, and I cannot stand knowing you know that I'm fucked up in a deeper way than I might have imagined. It's just it's just the way life is. It's not easy. If you live a life, you know, out in the world and you want to live that life, it's very hard to to sort of you know, take responsibility for your part in shit. God damn it. Let's read another email. Subject line WTF accidental text to my boss. Marin I just accidentally sent my boss a nasty text about her. I wrote about how she only hires people to fire them and that her Vicodin addiction only fuels her delusional God complex. How is that an accidental text? (laughs) Like, you you know... (laughs) She, I mean, you write something in a text box and you send it. it well, I, I get it. It was an accident. You know, this guy was pissed off and he wrote this shit down and he looked at it and he hit send. I know that feeling. It's a great feeling in that moment, followed by a horrendous feeling of panic and despair. She was pretty pissed. And I wrote her an apologetic email after which I immediately vomited all over my integrity. The moment of fear and the shame I had for having to kiss her insane pharmaceutical filled ass made me realize what an important moment this is. The fear and awfulness of the moment I hit send on that sniveling, shameful apology email, I just thought of how what you and other stand-up comics risk and have to endure to do what you love on your own terms. How you guys may have had moments like this, but use them as motivation to get out of there and risk everything because it's so much better to be heckled and impoverished but able to tell the truth on stage without apology than get a steady paycheck with a dental plan just to lie through your teeth. Sincerely, Kim, the Asian who fucking gets it. Well, thank you for, you know, for, for making me feel better about my, my um, nervousness around Asians. And also, uh, believe me, Kim, I've sent plenty of those texts. You know, these little viral nightmares that, you know, you send one text, it's amazing the power of, you know, either a, a well placed uh, penis will have and also a well sent uh, bit of malignant text man, that can unravel everything. Well, I'm glad you did damage control and I hope it didn't hurt too much. Blaine Capatch, uh, I'm going to talk to him here in just a minute. Blaine is a guy that I really love. He's a guy that I moved to San Francisco with. Uh, not with him, but we showed up in the area at the same time. Him and uh, Pat Oswald and myself. And me and Blaine became pretty good friends. And he's just a sharp guy. Got a great way of talking. And he, he's able to put things into perspective. And I was, uh, I'm happy to talk to him. So, So let's do that. <music> Alex Bennett, man. Remember when we'd go sit for three hours and listen to him talk about his bowels?
1: I would just uh, look at his dandruff.
0: He had dandruff?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had dandruff. Oh,
0: I just remember. Jesus like, Christ, he had dandruff. By the time we got to San Francisco, which Blaine Kapatch is in the uh, garage here at the Cat Ranch, who I knew, it was a weird thing, because me, you, and Patton all ended up in San Francisco within weeks of each other. You came out with him, right?
1: I came out two weeks before he did. You came out, uh, I think, a week after I did, or, or 12 days or something, didn't you?
0: Yeah, so it was Patton Oswald, Blaine Patch, Mark Marin were there to reinvigorate, bring new life to what was a dying comedy scene in San Francisco uh, circa 1992. That was
1: June 1992. When I June
0: 1992? Yeah. You're a man of dates. I, I, just, have n- I just remember a few. Well, you're married, right? And you're happy. Yeah, I'm married. I'll be, she- it'll be five years next week. And she's sweet, and yeah. you guys are doing well. I have no, you know, I've been married twice, and now people are having kids around me, and some of them have, you know, 15-year-old kids, and uh, do you ever have that moment where you're like, holy shit, what's the point of all of this? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously.
1: Yeah, Seriously. It's, then- it's usually, I usually, uh, uh, I usually have that thought between 6.30 a.m. and 7.45 a.m., and then, it goes- then I go back to sleep for about 20 <laughs> minutes, and then I wake up and pretend it didn't happen. <laughs>
0: It was that same dream, the uh, one where I'm awake.
1: Uh, last night I had a dream where I was fat. You did? I did. I had, you- a dr- I had a dream where I had this big flabby belly, and my belly button went in really deep, and I was like, what the, whoa, because I had eaten a poquito mas really late last night. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I just keep waiting to turn into, because my dad looked like Donald O'Connor. He had that skinny guy that got fat. Like Paula Poundstone says, the rock on toothpicks look like a a, Maury Amsterdam dude. That's
0: generally alcoholism. So you're just talking about age? (laughs) Because alcoholics can have that when they're young. Like, you know, they can get that weird kind of distended belly, the thin arms, and the yellow skin.
1: No, that wasn't... Well, my dad didn't drink. No,
0: so it was just... So he
1: was just a fast food guy.
0: Well, you're a lanky motherfucker, and I always used to be jealous of you because you could just eat and eat. What did you (laughs) used to say? I could just eat and eat and eat and not gain any weight at all.
1: Yeah, it's great. I've tried everything. I've tried eating.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've tried lack of exercise. Yeah, yeah, it's really... I've tried joining
1: the tea party. Mm -hmm. I just can't seem to gain any weight. I, uh...
0: (laughs) But your dad. De- this is the other thing that fascinated about me. You grew up in what was it like some rural Pennsylvania, or Dallastown,
1: something? Pennsylvania, outside what, of York, PA.
0: And what what is that? Just uh, a town? Yeah. Is it
1: Amish ish? No. Well, my parents lived in. They lived in central Pennsylvania, and yeah. then they moved to New Holland, which was Amish, and they had Amish friends. What so does what, that mean, Amish friends? Do they, you have to
0: they, turn the lights off when they come? Hey, when they come over? Yeah. Hide
1: the zippers. <laughs> <laughs> flip the n- nothing no, no radio higher than ham <laughs> nothing higher than ham yeah uh but the, uh they uh then they moved to to dallastown when they had my brothers and then uh they were sort of out the outcast from my family because they moved away from from this little central pennsylvania this little cold dusty thing
0: and they uh was it a mining town or anything
1: it was. I don't know what they did up there. It was really bleak.
0: But I remember that your your dad was like a roadside barber, right?
1: Yeah, he was a barber. He had a. He was the town barber. Barber on Main Street. We but, had a. We had the barbershop shop in the front of our house.
0: So the barbershop shop was in your house. Is in the front of our house. Yeah. And. Ha- <laughs>
1: I would go in there and he would be cutting cutting hair, there would be people waiting to get their hair cut, and I would sit there with with uh, my cans on, yeah. listening to uh, the box tops on an eight track, because he had a nice stereo receiver in there. In the office?
0: Yeah. Right, I mean, in the shop? In the barbershop. So he would be the lanky kid sitting there listening to the box tops? Yeah. And all the locals were like, there's his son, Blaine, the weird one. There's the weird one. The weird
1: kid. <laughs> that kid's, oh man, that kid's a little... Uh...
0: And he had the scissors and the blue juice?
1: Yeah, the scissors and the blue juice, yeah, the whole, the whole nine yards. He was a Navy barber. He was a World War II barber, and uh, he was on a destroyer that was uh, torpedoed when he was, uh, I think he was 16 or 17, and, uh, 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 and he was in the water for two days with all these other guys, and he was watching his uh, shipmates get plucked out of the water by
0: sharks. Was he on that one that they talked about in Jaws?
1: No, yeah, I don't think he was on that one. But you know what? I didn't hear about that story until his funeral, and the priest told it, because uh, he never told me or my brothers any of that stuff. Those World War II guys are really quiet. Yeah. They don't talk about any of that stuff, even well, when you ask them.
0: Well, there, were, I guess there was a sort of sense of, uh, the sense of duty was a little deeper than it is now in terms of, of what the war meant, and I think that they just looked at it with something that they, they had to do, they got through, and you stuff it down, and you and you know, and, and that's that.
1: Yeah, it's not like- we... Gather around, everybody, let yeah. me tell you about that time I mowed the lawn. <laughs> they, they, but they yeah, I being... did it thousands of times.
0: But I got to assume that there was just as much you know post-traumatic stress disorder and all that other stuff, but they didn't talk about it at all.
1: Yeah, they just drank. It or smoked it, or, yeah, or yeah, you know, yeah. just uh, or beat their kids out of it out of their system with it.
0: So at his funeral, that's when you heard the shark story because that's like one of those stories that kids would fucking love. Yeah, were you mad? Sort of like, you know, why didn't you tell us about this shit? No, well, it's like you know, it's
1: it was then that you started going,
0: Oh, I should ask him about this, I
1: should ask him about that. Should have talked that, to your father. Yeah, there's not, yeah, I should talk to my father. <laughs> there's not like a Google dad, like, a, Hey, I'm gonna, hey, dad, what was the name of that guy that?
0: <laughs> Search. <laughs> I think you just invented something. Google, Google dad. Google For dad. all those of you who can't communicate with your dad. <laughs> Simple dad responses. Uh, hey, dad, there's a girl in uh, class I really like. Shut
1: up. <laughs> Go ask your mother. No. Uh... <laughs> Hey dad. I'd, I'd like to see which questions would come up with each letter that you would type. What the auto guess would be? <laughs> did did I did I fuck up when I bought this car? Did I make a mistake not going to vocational school?
0: I'm sorry dad, I wrecked this. <laughs> um so here's I, here's the famous story about me and Blaine. Outside of the fact that you know I was uh, uh, a drunken you know animal and constant. No,
1: you never drank when I knew you. You were uh, you, all you would, pot. Yeah, we would smoke a lot of pot, and we, I was smoking cigarettes back then too. So you we were. Would... Yeah, I think so. I'm I, I, I kind of remember. And then I remember you got the staples in your ear because you tried the hypnosis or whatever. And the then acupuncture. You had, yeah, you had a monk come over and like swirl some incense around your head and then scare I, you or something. I, went to I, a, I think I got rid of your
0: hiccups, but I, not your smoking. <laughs> I went to a monk. No, I went to a guy in the Castro, some uh, acupuncturist. who. All and, right, just
1: lay there and try to lose consciousness.
0: <laughs> yeah, and hope nothing <laughs> happened. That was bad and wrong.
1: Count but, uh, backwards
0: from a hundred. Yeah, and he stuck those tacks in my ears and it didn't fucking work. Nothing fucking yeah. worked. And then uh but you we just grind you just grind your teeth. But we were just talking <laughs> in the kitchen about we we took mushrooms to go to the Halloween parade in the, in Castro, the Castro.
1: Which was which at the time this challenging. was challenging. This was ninety three. Very it was still ninety three, like, ninety four. Yeah. And, uh, it was, uh, uh, it was still like a, it it wasn't bad then. It was still just like, there would be 60 or 70,000 people. Yeah. Everybody's in costume. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of groups of women dressed like cats for some reason. Sure. And, uh. And uh, gay men dressed like gay
0: men. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) There's a lot more women here tonight. (laughs) Yeah. you would think. Uh, but, uh, but it was spectacular. Yeah. We, we we choked down those mushrooms in, in the car. Yeah. And, uh, and then we just started looking for parking.
0: Right, and then and, and it took about an hour and we started to yeah. trip and I think I said, are you ready, to, Are you, what was it, are you about so, to rock? I he said,
1: hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, uh, Kapatch, <laughs> I said, what? And you go, uh, are you about to rock? Because if you are, I'll salute you. <laughs> and then we realized we would never ever park and we drove back to my apartment and parked in front of my apartment and walked.
0: I just remember we were walking around and we were tripping and we ran into some people we knew and there was a woman uh, Javanka Steele, do you remember Jav- her? I remember Javanka Steele. She was dressed as a garbage bag. Uh, I remember that costume, yeah. And to me, like, because I was tripping, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so revealing and horrible!" <laughs> like, I, like I literally. <laughs> she thinks like, of
1: herself as a garbage bag, yeah. or at least a friend of Tom Bosley.
0: Yeah, and it was just awful. And I remember it just heartbroken, and I had to walk away. And I don't know how we ended up separating that night, but I ended up wandering around with Liz White, and we were in an alley, and and some guy, and I was smoking pot. And yeah. some guy came up and said, "Can I use your pipe?" And I go, "Sure." So I give him the pipe. He loads it with something. He takes a hit, and then he goes, "You want something? I'm like, "Sure." And I take a hit. He splits, and then, like within five minutes, I start sweating. My my vision goes fucked up, like oh, yeah. literally. And and I guess I don't know what it was. Whether probably it, crack. I, it probably was, just crack. I think it was dust or something. Well, if it was dust, you would have hulked out and thrown police cars around. And- I did. I threw police cars around. No, I had to sit down and reevaluate my entire life because Liz White was there. I hardly knew her, and here I was having a meltdown. Like, I need, I need something. And we go to the gas station across the street. I think I need liquid. I don't know what's happening, and I'm starting to black out. And I sit down. It's embarrassing to have a bad drug experience in front of somebody you don't really know that well, because you feel like you've just shit your pants. <laughs> and she start, she goes, "You're gonna be all right." Yeah, I guess so. And she walked away, and that was a long walk home one of those sort of like i almost died yeah but i probably didn't
1: no you no you didn't even get close so uh, you probably it was probably just crack
0: yeah you're probably right and i and i'm glad that i didn't uh i didn't know that and i didn't take to it You didn't follow it up yeah I, i'm gonna smoke some crack and see if that's the same buzz you yeah. know it is it is right, i'm gonna try different yeah. grades yeah. of crack and yeah. see if those are good i found my thing this is my new thing <laughs> uh, me and crack me, me and crack Forever, I. Uh, but you also you also said one of the, the the many things or that I well actually one of the few things I remember that I quote you fairly frequently because I remember the first time I saw you do comedy at Combs Comedy Club. You know you had really smart jokes. You were strange, and I said, how do, "How do you sell that shit on the road?" And you go, "I know how to wrap it around a bat." <laughs> Do you remember saying that? Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. That is pretty ballsy. I kinda like that one.
1: I just yeah, it was just uh uh, you know, I just said fuck more when I was on the road and I did more dick jokes. You know, I learned from that's what I got from Bill Hicks, because Bill and I were friends and he would he would come into Baltimore and we'd just go out to eat and have lunch someplace and he would just tell me stories. And he just uh, said the one thing he said that stuck with me was uh never leave Dick Island (laughs) Just says, You can swim offshore, just never always make sure you know where it is. Always there's Dick Island.
0: <laughs> it's so funny that people have, I'm sure, much uh, more, uh, much deeper, more uh, relevant Hicks quotes. But never leave Dick Island. I think is probably uh, never leave Dick Island. I don't think anyone's ever said that. I'm going <laughs> to quote Bill Hicks on this. But it's true. It's true. I don't. Uh, I don't go to Dick Island enough. I think I fear because I even watch when I watch uh, CK. Sometimes I'm like that's a really smart joke, and it's filled with ass and oh, cock. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, mothers' vaginas. But
1: but and I don't I don't know if this is going to sound like a cop out, but I think that a crowd, if you go to a crowd in a club, they're gonna they've gone out, they're paying to drink, they're all adults, they want to hear people swear into a microphone, they want to hear people talking about shit and farts and tits, talking about it. But if I want to hear
0: all that stuff, if I say fuck too much, it starts to sound like a percussive annoyance to them.
1: Yeah, that's that's very true. You have to you have to be. I mean, you have to choose it wisely.
0: Yeah, I mean it's one thing to talk filth or to use filth to uh, amplify jokes but just to use fuck as a punctuation becomes annoying to even younger people
1: yeah well it's it's. Uh, I do notice it when uh, I saw a, a guy doing it a, a guy who I like and he was just sort of riffing a joke and it was fuck this and fuck that and it got it was like ooh it's all, it, it really takes you out of
0: it because that's you all you hear after a while that's right and I've got to fucking be aware of that hold on yeah. let me make note of it <laughs> Yes, yeah, to self stop. stop saying
1: the F word by the way the F word means fuck yeah and when you when somebody on TV says the F word, they're saying fuck. yeah that is just the thing to
0: remember that okay no, oh, for, what?
1: here's the other thing that Bill yeah. Hicks told me that it, that uh, that was kind of profound that I did remember uh, and he said, uh, uh, always have fun on stage because if you don't have fun and they hate you, then nobody had fun
0: If you don't have fun and they hate you, then nobody had fun. Yeah, I've certainly a- seen him turn midway.
1: Yeah. He may have started having fun. Well, it's like he was sort of like a Jekyll and Hedonist Yeah, <laughs> you know, he would, yeah. uh, he would, uh, he would be like a nice, he would be like a really great club comic, and then something would happen, and it's like, oh no, his that was his snap word. Yeah, tonight it's uh, tonight it's a guy sneezing.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. And then cover sorry. your mouth,
1: you motherfucker. And, and then, then they're
0: the, off. And then twenty people leave. <laughs> 20 people yeah. leave, and he's crouching, screaming at a woman. Yeah,
1: and you know, I think that's, a, that's another thing that I, that I don't like that people take away from Hicks is, is uh, uh, and maybe I'm generalizing, but there's comics that go, man, he would walk a room on purpose, that's so cool. Like no, it wasn't cool. It was uh, it was it was, <laughs> it was him battling something that you couldn't see, and the audience leaving because of it. You know, yeah. I mean, he would pit, he would hate fuck audiences occasionally. Yeah. that would deserve it. But uh, uh, but all they take away from is yeah, man. Spike the microphone, make people leave. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the it's the after image of uh, of that influence.
0: Well, you know what's weird is that I don't see I don't know how much stand up you're watching anymore, but I don't see anybody coming close to that the intensity that would make. A crowd leave in droves because that's not just about something you say have you ever seen robert
1: klein i don't know i think you really need to you really need to rethink for, that statement for, for the
0: wrong reasons but do, but you know what i mean when we were starting out there was and even by the time we got to san francisco no one really did it in san francisco they were very rare people and it sounded like mark voice in his prime when you knew him might have had some of that where where the intensity was so menacing that yeah. it, it wasn't even about necessarily they weren't walking because they're like you know i uh i don't get it or i'm bored they were walking because like this shit is out of control and he's fucking out of line exactly exactly
1: you know it's i try to explain to to my wife and she's 10 years younger than i am and she she good for uh, you yeah she always watched comedy and stuff and she knows these people that she used to watch on comedy central and i tell her about people leaving when bill hicks would talk about the devil fucking john davidson and ejaculating a cloud of silverfish yeah people would get up and leave. Right. And you can't, I mean that was like 86, 87. He, he blew their mind. He really genuinely blew their minds and you can't do that anymore because people have heard everything. And the people that haven't heard anything will still get up and leave. If you go out to the suburbs, if you go out to like the the, uh, uh, the, the Langhorn Improv or whatever yeah. it is someplace, <laughs> uh, 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 people are going to get up and leave if Greg Barrett does something a little weird. Do you know what I mean? I There's wonder. There's still people that I, can snap.
0: I think that's one of the, the disadvantages of, of kind of boutique culture, in that everybody has people who have a following have found their people. You know, look at somebody like Stan Hope, who, who definitely is, you know, self you know, aware of the fact that he's part of the this Hicks legacy and that he's you know, you know, going the same path yeah, yeah. in some ways. But he now surrounds himself with people that love him. Which is fine. You know, it's a way to make a living. But I think one of the reasons why Hicks was so effective at blowing minds and scaring the shit out of people in walking rooms was he was relatively unknown and he was still showing up at comedy clubs where people are like, We're gonna go see comedy. Yeah and, yeah, yeah. and then he would be able to just fucking brain fuck them.
1: Yeah. Well he he wasn't uh, uh he wasn't preaching to any quality. Choirs.
0: There weren't any choirs. It was harder to find a choir. He yeah. had to go to England to find a choir and then die to find the rest of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think that's a fantastic way of describing it, uh, the boutique comics because it is uh, you do see people that cultivate crowds and they, like Carlos Mencia uh, he he goes out in front of his audiences. Glenn Beck goes out in front of his audiences. These guys these guys handpick their stuff and they go out and go, man, I killed. Yeah, everybody. Of course you killed. They want you to kill.
0: But there was yeah, and I guess at a different time there was a general sense of like you know everybody was getting roughly the same entertainment um, delivery. Like, you know, when there was small, when there were only a few networks and there was no fucking internet, it's like everybody knew the guys who were doing what they do, and either you liked them or you didn't.
1: Don't you think it's kind of like a, a generation of artists giving up instead of saying, man, we're going to be the next Beatles. Right. Man, we're going to be huge. We're going to rule the world. We're going to walk around like Oasis or Guns N' Roses. We're going to own this place. Right. And then, uh, but then you just get bands going, hey, we uh, we have our, our, our little, uh, we play our shows and we have people that come and visit our web stuff. Right. And, and we make a living. It, yeah, we got our
0: 2,000 people yeah, or whatever. Yeah, we, we do
1: secret shows and we sell a lot of t-shirts. I mean, it, it's, they're just as valid, but then you get into what Johnny Rotten said uh, when he said the Sex Pistols were always on major labels because uh, uh, that's where the distribution was. Right. right. And you can reach more people if you use the machine against itself.
0: Yeah, I just don't, I don't know, I think that this is just the way capitalism has polluted the whole thing in the sense that, you know, now everybody is very self-aware of their personal brand, of this, the strategies they need to engage in to define their people, and then to make their little living. You know, and they, they and I think what that creates is like, you know, fuck everybody else, we've got our thing, and in, in, in that sense, I don't think it's necessarily a positive thing.
1: Well, well, look at uh, and let, let's let's pretend that he's let's pretend that Dane Cook is just a comic that, okay. d- that doesn't have any sort of uh, 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 reputation as opposed whatever. to what as, as opposed to like a <laughs> a, 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 a source of uh, comics uh, talking for hours online about it. <laughs> Uh, let's pretend that he's just a comedian who's successful because he uh, because he has this web presence. Yeah. And his uh, his web presence came out and su- came out and supported him and made him a millionaire. He's been working for how many years? Right. He's uh and he's done TV and movies. He's been you know yeah whatever. I just
0: saw on Forbes he makes twenty two million a year now.
1: Twenty two million a year now. That's probably just gigs, not merchandise. Right. Or, or or Larry the Cable Guy
0: or any of those guys. He makes like nineteen.
1: Yeah, but it's it's uh, God uh damn it. It's, I mean, what the it's, fuck
0: are we doing?
1: Is that hurting? Is that hurting us that they're limiting themselves, or is that hurting them that they're limiting themselves? It's I I don't. No, I'm it's sorry I, if I'm I talking around it No, no, way. I don't
0: know if it hurts anybody in it only in the sense that what it does for if you want that kind of audience, how do you find them, and how do you? I, you know, I don't even want to get into that conversation. You can't make people like you. And certainly I know from my personal life that I'm not going to be able to do anything that's going to change me to where everyone in the world goes or 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 twenty two million dollars worth. Maybe go. I I love that guy. We're we're doing a different thing.
1: Well, maybe uh, maybe you'll find your catchphrase. Yeah. (laughs) What was the there was some guy uh, uh, who was telling me this, that a guy in Boston. Oh Ken Oh Ken Ober told me this. Oh, sorry. Uh Ken uh, Rest in peace Ken Ober. Yeah, Ken's great. Yeah. Uh he, he said there was a guy in Boston, he was like a little Wally Cox type dude. Yeah. And he had his jokes were all right, but yeah. then every now and then he would go, he would tell this joke and his punchline was I'll never learn. <laughs> and people would erupt and he said people would just like light up and he go I'll never learn and yeah. put it at the end of a joke and people would just go crazy You'd carry him out of the room on their shoulders yeah. and they would always go you've got to end every joke with I'll never learn that'll be your hook you're going to be huge yeah I don't know I don't really like that <laughs> joke too much so he wouldn't use it all the time and he just kind of went nowhere but he never learned yeah never <laughs> learn <laughs> But it's i uh,
0: I've seen so many people do stuff like that. Then there's the people that change to the singular name, you know. Back when, when we were starting out, Blaine. Know, yeah, just Blaine. <laughs> yeah. Or they, yeah, they try hooks or they try outfits or fuck, I don't know. You know, I, you know, I just know that to get to bring it back around. That it's weird after witnessing Hicks and witnessing Kennison sort of hands, you know, first, you know, yeah, up close.
1: Being there for it.
0: Yeah. And, and, I, and actually seeing Stanhope, you know, people who go out of their way to push. An envelope so hard, you know, which is, I think I started out wanting to do that, but now I choose to push it with making people uncomfortable with personal information, as opposed to <laughs> trying yeah, to... W-
1: shifting in seats is better than people leaving their seats.
0: Right, but but there's there's an electricity to it, and I had not seen it in a long time, and I only saw Stan Hope, you know, live once, and I've talked to him before, and I, and I respect the guy, but when you were sitting there watching Kennison, there was such an electricity to the intensity of, of whatever the fuck he was doing, and he was more mainstream than any of them. I mean, Kennison was, for most practical purposes a mainstream act oh yeah i mean you know, like a dirty rock and roll band i mean he was a big act hicks was not because you know hicks was you know eloquent lyrical intelligent had depth and was attacking things that you know required some uh, thought yeah. and ability to connect abstract thoughts you know as steve pearl said kennison was you know uh, two short short screams followed by a long scream <laughs> oh 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 you know uh, but on some level that was his hook but oddly the first time i saw lisa lampanelli in vancouver it was equally as fucking menacing that the the last time i actually experienced that type of electricity of some being of someone creating a a, a moral a morally bankrupt free-for-all
1: <laughs> that, it, it that was her right
0: yeah just people uh going wow should we be laughing at right her talking right sort about of this? Like, exactly like what the fuck is happening in here and and I just don't see it that much. And even with Stanhope, who who pushes the envelope, you know, is is executing points. You know, he's he's got a point. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's 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 showing hypocrisies, and he's and, and he's a contrarian. But just like creating, just sort of like you know, this is really wrong, and we're just bathing in it. Here we go. I don't see a lot of that. I miss it well yeah well you would see uh guys that would tell
1: you how edgy they were on stage yeah. you know there was there was that wave of that was like a the mi- angry that was, guy yeah that was a 90s kind of thing hey man i, I think i was i uh, think up all this i yeah. think up this crazy stuff yeah if you can't deal with it maybe you should just get out yeah like, oh really your yeah. joke about airline peanuts is yeah. so edgy that yeah. i have to leave
0: yeah because they explode they're exploding airline peanuts and only kill christians Oh, man, that's so edgy, the
1: way he picked those words out of a Chinese menu and strung them together to get a rise out of the audience. I never liked uh, uh, those, uh, those machete comics, yeah. those uh, all edge and no point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys are just out there, man, I'm going to blow your mind. <laughs> really, stop telling me you're going to blow my mind. How about some jokes? How about
0: blowing my mind with your jokes instead of your boasting? I worry about uh, my jokes lately. How are your jokes?
1: You know, my jokes are, uh, I found that all my jokes are now uh, more like Tweets. Really? Yeah, my bits tend to ramble on. What is that and- great
0: joke you did? Come on, let's do some old Blaine Cabash jokes for, for, for old time's sake. Um, do, do the poem. Uh, what was the poem? Remember oh, the poem? Uh, uh,
1: fit. this is called Fish. Super duper grouper trooper. Now the fish have guns. Man has infected the sea. Sea war. Sea war, kill. Kill war, kill. Go fish. <laughs> what, was, what, what was the other one where you're, uh, was it? Uh, uh, oh, uh, this is it? called Ode to Kansas. Flatness. 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 Hey, what's that over there? Is that... Nope. Oh, flatness. Yeah.
0: You remembered him.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's like you press a button in your head and they all just. Zip right back out You know You do that right Where just uh, You'll you'll get a sense You get more sense memories Now that you're older Don't you uh, In terms Where of like, like A
0: smell reminds me of a joke Or a thing I did wrong Yeah Yeah <laughs>
1: Oh man! A uh, girl's perfume reminded me of the time that I uh, was really mean to my mom when I was a kid. I yelled at her and made her cry.
0: Oh my God! Jägermeister is ass sex. Oh no! Uh,
1: I just need some Glade plugins. I will look at lists of my old sets, like from ten years ago. Yeah, and I'll see the same uh, the same notation, like you know, uh, 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 ant loaf or whatever. Yeah, and it's like, wow, I used this every night for for months and months and i I don't
0: know what the joke is i i I got this. here's a stack of shit right here i don't even know like uh that happens all the yeah the fucking lists uh cultural embarrassment i don't know what the hell that means uh (laughs) after ikea what else can you buy i uh dc i don't know what this is but I have those lists where I look and I yeah. and I straight I strain to remember the joke and I can't fucking remember the joke and I know I did it like 15 times, 20 times, 100 times. Yeah. It's very fucking annoying. Exactly. Do you, how much stand up are you doing? Uh you know I'm I'm trying to do more cuz I was I was working on
1: I was working on the show Web Soup. You know yeah. that show with Hardwick? Yep. Uh, and it was a lot of fun it was a, a real blast and it did okay but the network doesn't have any money for it so it's not coming back until I just talked May, to Jonah Ray about that oh really yeah. yeah yeah it's a drag Jonah Ray's awesome
0: yeah I like him he's a nice guy yeah he's a
1: very great guy so and you're that, working on that uh, I was working on that it was supposed to be back last month and now it's not gonna be back till May so I'm uh, I'm sort of free floating I'm gonna try to do more I always say this I'm gonna try to do more stand up and are you, are you still write friends? my movies and you know write TV shows and pitch that kind of stuff
0: are you still friends with Patton yeah, yeah, yeah. Does time. he ever take you out?
1: Yeah, I did the uh, improv in Irvine with him a couple of weeks ago. How was that? It was awesome. You know what? Uh, uh, we were talking about this earlier that that uh, about hand-selecting your crowd, bringing your own choir. Yeah. But Patton, uh, uh, I'll say this, Patton consistently brings out smart crowds, that, uh, that know that he brings good comedians with him. Right. And they appreciate, they come out to see good comedy. That's what I do love about Patton shows.
0: Well, he, I think he in a, is sort of invented, in, not invented, but invented the market of the comedy nerd. I think that somehow or another, <laughs> I'm serious. I think that the comedians of comedy the, on Comedy Central, uh, him and Zach Galifianakis really invented that, this audience in a lot of ways. Dimitri Martin a little bit. But I think Patton and the Comedians of Comedy really made a lot of smart, nerdier kids go, oh, these guys are like us. Well, it it's a w- big shift. It went from
1: alt to nerd. you know. And if he, Alt it, was it, never real. Alt was alt was just uh, the word for what they had before it was
0: nerd. I guess, no, because there were a lot of regular stand-ups, mainstream stand-ups that did alt comedy. I, I guess you're right, but it, it seemed to me that the Comedians of Comedy and the statement of it against the, uh, the Rednecks, or what was the other one? The 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 kings of comedy or whatever yeah kings of comedy that that there was I mean there was there was a sight you know tongue in cheek there was an arrogance to it it was sort of pompous but the choice of comedians I thought opened up this whole market of the alt nerd thing I don't think I'm really a nerd you're kind of a nerd right
1: well yeah I can uh, but you rock
0: yeah I rock but some nerds rock
1: yeah well Weezer rocks
0: Weezer nerds Weezer nerds yeah Yeah, there's a lot of uh, yeah there's a lot of rocking nerds.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I I don't try to rock. I just try to go up and make the crowd laugh, and try to make myself happy. I try to re- try to remember my jokes, and try not to look at my list because I always flake out. I try to I try to keep an eye on my time. I work on all the shit that I should have taken care of ten years ago in my in my stand up stage stuff. Yeah, because I'm, just... I'm just lazy. I like to have fun instead of work. Yeah, and I do. And I do have fun. That's the problem: is you have fun doing comedy, and you forget that it's work.
0: Yeah. Do you ever find yourself just laughing at yourself up there?
1: Yeah, I've done that a couple times.
0: <laughs> me too.
1: I always, always feel, I always apologize immediately. I always I don't,
0: don't want to be the guy. <laughs> I'm so great. Yeah. Well, look at me. I'm having a good time. How about you, people? Yeah. Woo. I used to do that a lot when I smoke pot.
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, I've been hosting the uh, the Lucha Vooms, and we're doing the the I'm announcing at the Derby Dolls these roller
0: derby matches. And All right, stuff. so let's let's explain this to me because I you know I've not gotten on board to that. Almost, oh, you got to uh, come to one of these. No, You'd I've been it. to one, and and you know, there's a specifically uh, they're they're really popular in L.A. There's this weird um, confluence. Is that the word I want between Mexican wrestling, stand-up comedy, burlesque dancing, and roller derby? right yeah well ever they're all sort of inter- intertwined the the, well,
1: der- the derby is is sort of a, a off to its it, off on its own thing like like a saturn dealership
0: uh-huh <laughs> well that but that uh, it took a while to build that but roller derby is now it's sort of like you know, I, it, I it comes from this whole i you know, where does it sprout from this 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 type of it's sort of hot rod culture slash rockabilly cu- culture with a k right but it yeah. come from uh, Robert Williams and Coop and, and Von Dutch and the, all the dudes. That, it's the ju- a California thing. A
1: juxtaposed. Right, the yeah.
0: juxtaposed art magazine. So, you know, uh, outsider art and Latin culture mixed with hot rod culture, and you get this.
1: Yeah, well, well the, the Lucha Vavum came out of Velvet Hammer, and that was a burlesque troupe. It was neo-burlesque, and it wasn't like Pussycat Dolls or the new stuff that you see where it's like, because modern burlesque is usually just like karaoke for MILFs. You know, it's just women that are feel empowered, and they get drunk, and they don't have routines. But Velvet Hammer was really good. The girls made fantastic costumes, and they were—they all had the right smile on their face, and they were really cool acts. And I did comedy with Ron Lynch and uh, Craig Anton. We would do—I remember that. I
0: saw that show. Yeah, at, baggy uh, pants, the stuff. Egyptian, or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, the El Rey, or whatever. Right, the El Rey.
1: And then uh, that's the Velvet Hammer kind of split up, and Rita D'Albert, You know Rita. I do. Uh, I worked with Rita in the Velt Hammer, and we were in White Trash Wins Lotto together, and we were in that band, the Buxotics, and all that stuff. So when she... They started doing uh, burlesque girls in between this Mexican wrestling film festival because one of Rita's friends, Liz, uh, was dating one of the wrestlers. And Liz produced Guar for years. She was their road manager. Guar. Uh, Guar. Yeah. If you like to get moist at the House of Blues. Yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, they did this show with Mexican wrestling and some burlesque girls in between the matches. And Rita said, Hey, can you host it? And it just turned into this show. So it was all very organic. It wasn't like people said, Let's get tab A and slot B and we'll do a sprinkle of this.
0: Right. It just, you know, sort of uh, subcultures coming together.
1: Exactly. And, it, and it, it turned into a big thing. And, and it's a great, it's a super fun show. It's like we get, it's I'll host them and then we so have. So, what is the show? The show is uh, uh, there will be a girl doing something on a trapeze, and then there will be uh, some chickens wrestling some midgets, and then there will be a girl doing a, uh, some sort of weird giant banana act, and then there will be a guy on a pogo stick stripping, and then there will be more Mexican wrestling. And then the whole time it's uh, me and a guest comedian like Tom Kenny or Dana Gould or Patton or, uh-huh. uh, or Kathy Sorbo. We just do play by play, mystery science style, and it's just a lot of fun.
0: On the wrestling? On the wrestling. Well,
1: yeah, we don't make fun of the girls.
0: Well, I saw, <laughs> I went to one of those shows, and the woman from Faster Pussycat. Who,
1: oh, Tura Satana. T- I remember that one.
0: Yeah, she was there and trying to do the twirling, uh, what do you, pasties? Get her pasties going. And uh, it was really one of the most sad yeah. things I'd seen in a long time. Yeah. Is, yeah, you know. Is that part of it? No. <laughs> No,
1: you know, we try to keep the sadness. We dial the sadness down lately. So the difference But it was just cool to see Teresita. No,
0: it was. Uh, the the difference between Burlesque and just straight up stripping and and whatever these uh, pussycat dolls are doing is that that's sort of a Vegas version. Of uh, of burlesque, the Pussycat Dolls, it's, it's yeah. sort of amplified fake tits, uh, a Electra kind of uh, it's sort of bullshit. Just it's not it's it's really just stripping. And the difference between burlesque and say you know uh, Jumbo's Clown Room is that they're they're loftier in their intent. They're not there to make money by uh, you know sitting on guys' laps or or or, or getting smelly breath on them. Yeah. They're there to honor some sort of tradition of showing your tits.
1: Yeah, well, there's there's uh, they do. You know what? We went out on a uh, like a quote unquote field trip. We went out to Glendora to Mamie Van Doren's museum, uh-huh. and uh, we watched these tapes. and They brought out all her old fans and her, uh, her fan bloons. dancing. Yeah, fan dancing. And so like and the girls were just sitting there riveted looking at all this stuff and it was it was really cool to see. There's there's a genuine it's it's like a a love of the craft and stuff. And like I said, they had the girls in the Velvet Hammer would have the right looks on their face. They would be smiling, they would be kinda detached. But they were always putting on a show, and like if you look at, and the, they weren't like,
0: doing it for drug money. They weren't doing it for their, drug money. Their dads or, fucked them.
1: Yeah, and there's no, not like a tattoo on their belly that's cut in half with a C-section scar, like a jumbos.
0: Yeah, so but I, but I guess it's just weird to me. So that you know, because I know there's friction on some level between you know what you know like what strippers, working strippers, do for a living, yeah. and this idea that like well that's really cute with their dancing with their feathers and things, but they're not artists. You know, they're just strippers. Yeah.
1: Well, you know the thing about strippers too and a lot of burlesque is uh, strippers are usually in good shape
0: (laughs) burlesque not so much (laughs) yeah well
1: you know some of them are uh uh, there's there's some of it where it can get uh the empowering of women can get to the point where it's just like oh jesus please maybe you should
0: empower yourself to the gym a bit
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't want to i don't want to be that guy but uh, i am that guy seriously you should uh, (laughs) you should do some crunches and i don't mean the nestle's type (laughs) Yeah, uh, no you, heath bar crunches because you've done
0: enough of those. Is yeah. that the point?
1: Yeah, but you know what? Th- then again, there's a. Uh, but, that, I, but see, that's I have of... seen awesome girls. Like there's a girl from New York named uh, World Famous Bob, and she's she's a larger girl, and she has that look on her face that you trust her and you watch, and she puts a shaker in between her boobs and she mixes up a, a martini and pours it out and then pulls an olive out of her crotch and dips it in there and drinks it, and that's her act. It's really cool. It's no, I, like the I, kind I of stuff. It's the kind of stuff that Dean Martin would tip for.
0: Right, I'm not condescending to it. And I and I and I and when I. When it's think, well
1: done, it's fantastic. Yeah, I
0: think I would appreciate it. Yeah, and, yeah. and I have nothing against uh, large women either. And I and I don't mind the the whole. I think I should go see more of it. Because in a culture that we live in now, you know, stripping and and porn and everything else is really about this sort of like feeding this need, like you know, I, I need to connect, I need someone to sit on my lap, I need a boner, I need to you know, I need to feel like somebody likes me. Whereas this is something that is reaching back in time, where there was a sophistication to the presentation of the of the of this femininity of yeah. this sexuality. Yeah, there's a titillation involved. Right. I saw at- like in the right stuff. Did you see the right stuff? The I movie. I see the right the stuff. The scene where all the astronauts are at that big, you know, LBJ cookout in Dallas or wherever the hell it was, and there's a long slow motion scene of a fan dancer or a yes. feather dancer. Yes, and And that was the way it went then, because there was a moment there where everyone, you're actually watching going, this is a little inappropriate for the situation, and then you realize that what it represents is something elevated about, about, fema- about the feminine spirit and about sexuality, and then the idea that it's equally as unattainable as seemingly the moon was, but they all went, and I'm reading into it.
1: <laughs> that was one with Chuck Yeager walking away from that explosion right exactly that was man. awesome yeah, man like, when that thing exploded yeah he
0: went too high up he almost went into space he had a bail <laughs>
1: dude man planes
0: are awesome they are fucking cool man they're really cool he almost killed him <laughs> So, now, I, the other thing I want to talk about with you, because I remember this happened, and you know I've had Carlos on the show, and, and it created quite a stir, but I remember you know asking you at some point what you were doing, and you're like, I'm writing a
1: Mencia. <laughs> I did two seasons as a writer-producer on Mind of Mencia. I did seasons two and three, and, uh, uh, and I worked with wonderful people, and I had a good time. And uh, uh, I got to be in a few things, and I was in the union. We, we uh, struck and went union on the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, So, yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> that's it. That well, that's the weird thing about the. And I, th- I don't think people. I, you know, I talked to Tom Lennon a little bit about this too. Is that you know sometimes you, you, if you're a comic, if you're a joke writer, if you're a guy that wants to work in show business, you write and yeah. you write to make money. Yeah. And you may write for things that you don't like, and it may make you uncomfortable. It may not be what you want to do, but you know, comedy needs writers.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: And did did you do a lot of? Uh, were there were there times where where Carlos would take. Things that you wrote and then yes. ruin them. <laughs> <laughs> I saw where you were going with that. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah, but
1: you know what? It was mind of and not mind of capach Right. You know, it's it's a, uh the one thing I, I I came away from it sort of proud of myself in that I was able to just sort of keep my head down, write what I was supposed to write. You know, it's like I I know I learned that on Mad TV. I learned how to write for the show like I'm not here to make myself look good but if I'm and I'm you know I'm going to be given like they would give me stuff that I didn't want to write that was that, that I thought was ridiculous or unfunny or whatever so it was like well I have to write this I have to be happy with it so I'll try to get some jokes in that I like at least so you end up writing stuff within somebody else's coloring in somebody else's lines but you get better at what you do because of that because you know it's like oh I'm I now I can sit down if and I can write literally 50 jokes on something. I could just crank out jokes like nobody's business. I could never do that when I was just a road comic. Can you do it for yourself? You know what, I can't do it for myself. See, that's unless, a weird catch unless, to it. unless I give myself a character. If I'm write, if i writing for a character, like uh, uh I, I do more characters than I've ever done. And it's just because they're goofy and fun and it's not me doing stand-up. Yeah, And it's easier to write jokes. If I pretend I'm Emo Phillips, I sat down once, I was doing Emo Phillips at a show, I sat down and wrote 15 minutes of great jokes. I was like, "Why can't I do this for Blaine Phillips?" Yeah, did I, you I, sell I, them to emo? No, I no. I, they were all about fucking Judy Tanuda. <laughs> <laughs> You can't really... Well, that's
0: the weird thing because I, you know, I, coming upon material for me is long, and, and it takes a long time, and, and and evolves over time on stage. And and some jokes don't get written for a year. Yeah, they don't finish themselves. Yeah, but, but I just think it's interesting that a lot of people in the way they view show business is that you know it's just a business in in a lot of respects, and a lot of people within that business are not doing their dream job. They're feeding the machine. They, yeah. you know, I think there's some idea that you know people in show business are like you guys are in show business. It's fucking, you know, red carpets and you know crystal all the time. Are you kidding? I gotta fly to DC
1: in two weeks to do a interstitial thing where I'm at the Saint Elmo's fire bar going, Wow, look at this. For what? For a Stars network.
0: You're doing interstitial stuff?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be nice. I yeah. went there. I went there before. I just want to. I just want to see if I can get away with calling it Stelmo's Fire the whole time. Stelmo's. Uh, that'll be my little joke myself. <laughs> We're here in the bar of where they film Stelmo's Fire. Wait, they
0: they what are they doing? They're showing the movie or something? They show the movie and then it'll be me at the at location. How many of those are you doing?
1: I think they're, I think it's just this one. Oh, we'll they, see, we'll are see, they trying see, you out? Is see, one of those things? Let's yeah, see how Blaine does. See how Blaine
0: does, and maybe he can do. Uh, yeah, the...
1: I'm gonna try to knock on your formica here. I think it might Hope be. it works. At It'll least be, part of
0: it's wood. I think it it's a fun. wood veneer. You know
1: what? I went in on that audition. I went in. For, I went in for a, a Mark Rivers show, the cartoon. Uh, the cartoon. Yeah. Uh, I went in and it was. It was. Uh, it's always awkward a- auditioning for Friends. Yeah. But I could not have eaten it more if I was in a like an eating contest. <laughs> I was at the House of Pies at that thing, <laughs> and then later I went over to Beverly Hills and I auditioned for the Stars thing, and I was like, just like, ah, who cares? Yeah, it was hot. Right. No air conditioning. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to get my hair cut because it was really hot and my hair was long and it was yeah. just getting all sweaty.
0: Yeah. Like, I just want to get my hair
1: cut. And then I get, I booked
0: it. Yeah, because you weren't thinking twice about it. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, yeah, Over, I, overthinking is the is the worst. Well, yeah, you just, you, you got to show up for the thing, you know, and it's a little intimidating. And I, you know, if, I don't know. The dream is like, you know, they, they're they like, I know what Mark Maron does. Let's just hire him and let him be him. Yeah. But then they never want you to be you. They always want you to be that cartoon that... Like like yeah, uh, like what if they you think br- you are. You bring
1: in Eddie Pepitone. Yeah. It's like, oh, Eddie will beat this guy, and he'll yeah. say it like this, and then Eddie will do something like he'll softer, play it quiet or yeah. softer. And it's like, ah. yeah, what's wrong with Eddie? It's yeah. Not the Eddie we
0: knew. It's not the I Eddie didn't...
1: I wrote. It's it's. Uh, uh, have you you've seen? I'm sure you've seen the Don Rickles documentary.
0: Um, the problem I have with uh, with with. With Don Rickles in that show, it's like there was a moment there we where he was talking about Lenny Bruce, and he condescended him, like you know, he was doing that thing with the drugs and the filthy, and the, you know, and it's just sort of like, really, even at this point, you know, he was just like a, some renegade to you guys. It just was like, you know, he was dirty and he didn't, uh, you know, we didn't like him.
1: Yeah. Well, Rip Taylor asked me at Mel's. Do you
0: work blue? Rip Taylor?
1: Yeah. And I go, yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little, mo- I'm a little of my age. Said, yeah. Oh,
0: you don't have to work blue. Is he said that?
1: Yeah. But you know what? The first thing he said was, uh, he, he said, what do you, what's your name? I said, Blaine. What do you do? I said, I'm a comedian. He said, sit down. And I sat down and he, he said, the first thing he said to me, he goes, I just got to tell you, there's room for
0: everyone.
1: There's plenty of room for everyone. And that was a great thing
0: for him to open with. Yeah, I said that before. I said that to Colin Quinn once. There's plenty of pie for everyone. Yeah, and, but you know what? And uh, for uh, years, he would say to me like, "How's it going with the pie?"
1: <laughs> you know what, dude? Yeah. Uh, there's lots of room at the bottom. Yeah, you can put your feet up at the bottom.
0: There's <laughs> plenty of room at the bottom. So, all right. So now you were working with um, Drew Carey.
1: Well, you know, I, uh, I knew Drew from doing stand-up in San Francisco.
0: Yeah, how come you knew him? And I—I I mean, I know he'd come around.
1: Well, he would—he but... would do the punchline, and and I would—I uh, would be the host for the nights, and we just became friends. Right. So, uh, but uh, uh, we would—he would—he called me up, and uh, uh, this a couple years ago, I guess, called up Dave Anthony and I. You know, Dave Anthony. Yeah, yeah, he's been on the show. And uh, he said, "Hey, I'm sick of the showcase showdowns. They're written by these guys that are, you know." They've been on the show, they're 85-year-old dudes, they've been on the show for 30 years and they write, you know, a trip down Main Street with your <laughs> avocado refrigerator freezer. Yeah. So he would get a list of the prizes and then we would go to his office and we would listen to Garage Rock on Sirius FM and we would, uh, we would just write jokes for the showcase showdowns. And they tried to make it a, uh, and he would pay us under the table. It was right. very, very cool. He's a, Drew's, Drew's a great guy. And uh, he was like, man, this is working out so good. I'm going to get you guys hired, make you producers, whatever. It'll be fun. And then the Writers Guild came in. Or no, CBS came in and CBS said, hey, we don't like the Writers Guild, so you can't hire these guys. We're going to hire guys that aren't in the Guild to do the show. So we got kind of gilded out of out of a cool gig. What the fuck? Yeah, WTF. Like the yeah. show, man. Holy shit. But, but Drew's a great guy and uh, in... August, no, in July, he calls me up and he's a, he co owns the Seattle Sounders, uh-huh. the soccer team. He's a big soccer fan. He was in South Africa for the World Cup. And he texts me, he goes, Hey, you want to come out down to Cape Town for the World Cup? I went, eh, you, Yeah. Dave Anthony is a soccer freak and I just, I'm the court jester. Oh, yeah. So Drew flew us down to, to Cape Town. Cape Town was great. It was gorgeous, beautiful birds every place. Yeah, and it was right on the right in the on the south, so uh, you could see the waters were really choppy. We went out to Nelson Mandela's. We went to Robben Island to see his his jail cell.
0: How was that for you? Uh,
1: it was the first thing we did, it was kind of, kind of a kind of a real pick me up. Yeah, <laughs> not 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 a bummer at all. <laughs> uh the tour guide was an ex-prisoner oh this was great he was this this old guy and he gave us a tour of this cell and was very intense about everything and uh at one point i think uh drew said hey i have to ask you what did you do what was your crime why were you in here because he was in there for like 10 years or something and uh he kind of looks around he goes let us say i was a product of 1976 it was like, oh, yeah, you yeah. were.
0: Yeah. What it that? was
1: whatever that meant in 1976 It got you <laughs> in prison then? on an island for 10 years.
0: Well, what does that even mean? Yeah,
1: but I got it. I knew what he did. It was he- like he was just, he was just a rabble rouser. He was a political rabble rouser at the time of apartheid. Oh, right. I mean, we drove by District 6, which yeah. was like the cursed area. We right. drove by the shanty towns. It was unbelievable, and the only people in South Africa
0: that were assholes were white. It was weird. Well, why is that weird? Weren't? They, isn't that the the legacy? Weren't they really big assholes for a really <laughs> yeah, long time? I, I kind of think so. <laughs> you know,
1: now everybody thinks it's just De Antwort. You know, but, but I can't even not.
0: imagine what it was like there. I can't imagine what it's like now because I don't know a lot about. Uh, the... it,
1: it wasn't. It, it seemed like it wasn't a. It was like a, a a second world country. You know what I mean? Like it's, right. it's a huge well, tourist destination. It was definitely modern. And then uh, it was
0: owned. There was a lot of uh, uh, real estate owned by the Dutch, correct? Yeah, it and, all came
1: from Dutch Dutch slave trades and mercantile trades.
0: And they they basically you know oppressed completely and, and denied uh, the blacks any right to. Yeah, anything. well
1: that they were the Afrikaners. They right. were they were like the, the the Republicans of the of South Africa. They were the guys that were against anything that wasn't them and uh, not all white people are like that but all white people are the same to the to the the black south Africans.
0: now do you was there a sense of tension still or was you
1: know we had a security detail with us we had five guys that that will smith recommended to drew three american commandos and two south african dudes that were like like martial arts killers so you had Smithers. mercenaries with yeah, you yeah we had mercenaries with us all the time to protect you from
0: what to protect
1: us from, uh, you know what? Uh, we went rabid. To... Prices right fans. <laughs> uh, we I took my iPhone out to take some pictures at a market, and I noticed three guys watch me put my phone into my pocket. And it was like they were. So there's. Still... It, it was very. It was. I was very nervous down there, and it wasn't just because I was paranoid. It was so, there was reason to be nervous. So there's there. extreme poverty still. There's poverty and there's a lot of crime, a lot of street crime, and the game was security checkpoints and. Uh, electric wire all over everybody's properties uh-huh. and they said that after the game that people were going to go into the townships and kill white people that was the word on the street Was there was a huge security lockdown in the townships so ships.
0: Invictus is not really true I didn't
1: see Invictus. I heard it was
0: long. It was long. And, <laughs> it was and like it the gave English me, patient. It gave me the impression that everything was okay now.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I mean, uh, I had a wonderful time, and uh, uh, Dave Anthony ate kudu and impala. And what is
0: kudu? It's
1: a uh, oh, that antelope. Animal? Yeah, because down there it was on all the menus. It's the it's the food down there. And impala. Impala He didn't like Impala He said it was uh, It was fatty And had a weird texture It was uh-huh. very soft But uh-huh. he, he liked Kudu And he liked Wildebeest uh-huh. And the Springbok I would get steak I'd get filets And I'd get them well done And get some potatoes I wasn't fucking around Because I have a glass stomach And I know that Drew And Dave got godzilla From some kind of <laughs> Nasty chicken At the casino In Johannesburg Oh really? Yeah it was nasty
0: But the game was cool?
1: The game was great And Mandela came out And did a little drive around Did and, you do uh, a few minutes? Yeah, he did a uh, uh, What's Up with Airline Peanuts? Because <laughs> <tight> everybody <set. laughs> has a, a few Airline Peanuts minutes. <laughs> tight, tight three? Yeah. yeah. Well, as you can
0: see by the is it's time to wrap it up. Well, it sounds like a, it was a good time. He's a sweet guy. Drew Carey is a good guy. We got some burlesque coming up? I got uh, we, We're doing Lucha Vavum in
1: October, a Halloween run. I think we're going on the road a little bit with it. We'll go up to Seattle again. We do it at, in San Francisco at the Fillmore. It sells out. It's, it's unbelievable. Fuck, dude. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. See a jump off a balcony into a crowd.
0: Yeah. It's surreal. Do they mind be calling midgets now? I mean no, when they, you're actually working with they midgets? prefer the term
1: little midgets. They do? Are they yeah. Like little yeah. midgets? And they, they don't speak uh they don't speak much English, the minis, because they're all from Mexico City. they I mean like the wrestlers are serious lucha libre guys. Oh really? And like we tour with them and it's just uh walking around with all these like you know, Spanish speaking dwarves. <laughs> People lose their mind. I remember we did a show in Toronto and <laughs> we yeah. went to somebody's house for a party and one of the uh 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 uh, Suki was dancing on a tabletop because a coffee table made him as tall Suki? as this. Suki, uh, T S U K I. Who is that? Uh, just one of the one oh, of the minis. Okay. And he's standing on a coffee table, so he's tall enough to dance with this hot Japanese chick. And, there, and and the people that lived in Canada that were at the house, yeah, were in a circle around them, and they it, it was that thing where you couldn't believe what you were seeing. It was like going back to 1970 and showing somebody Otto and George. <laughs> I would see those guys walk rooms. You know, what?
0: it's like vaudeville,
1: man. It's old style. It's uh, yeah, but now it's more like vaude city. Yeah, it's bigger. Okay, but you know what? No one has that. No one has that that triple threat thing going anymore. There's no more like comedians that can sing and dance and and entertain and. You know, there's that, that whole thing is gone. It's, I guess it's the all, variety it's, act. it's all boutique now. It's all, yeah, I'm, that, that thing's I'm been a comedian been gone for a while. that doesn't act.
0: That's been gone for a while, but some guys in Vegas do it. Barry Diamond still does it. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, there's some guys I think that will still close with a song like Don Rickles, but it's of a different era. I, I mean, what would a guy of our generation, even younger, like, I mean, you know, Nick Thune plays guitar, but it's not the same. You're saying, like, you know, here's a couple of jokes. Now, Bobby, let's do that tune. And then you sing a few. <laughs> yeah, then, like, there's n- a couple of one lines. Because then it's not really about comedy. Those aren't stand-up guys. Those, most of the guys that did that, I think, were singers. That's a
1: cabaret act. That's entertainment. Right. That's what I learned in Vegas, too, when the guy, the manager of the club told me, he said, hey, this isn't, a, this isn't a comedy. This is entertainment. This isn't show business. This is entertainment. What was that it, about? The, the... That was about me doing my uh, San Francisco comedy act in Las Vegas. <laughs> that was when Evil Can Evil. Uh, but uh, uh, I was doing my act in Vegas, which was going over like my act in Vegas. <laughs> and uh, the manager came up to me and because first night he goes, I was wearing Chuck Taylors. Yeah. He goes, uh, Hey, uh, you wear hard shoes tomorrow night. If you're not wearing hard shoes, you're uh, you're done for the week. Uh, this is a hard shoe gig, and I had hard shoes with me, which was weird. <laughs> And uh, so I wore those, and they were too big. And then uh, and then later- You didn't
0: say wear clown shoes.
1: No, no. Uh, and then later, I was doing my poems. I was doing the fish and the yeah, flatness yeah. and all that stuff. And he goes, uh, the manager's name's Cassie and he's got one of those buffer-type tuxedos on. Yeah. And he goes, hey, uh, you know that bit you do in your act uh, with the coffee shop poems? I yeah. said, yeah. He said, when you get to that part of your act, stop and bring on uh, Robert Hawkins. <laughs> Don't do it. Just bring on Robert Hawkins. And then he, he goes, he goes. I appreciate what you're trying to do, but uh, the, these crowds don't want to see what you do. This isn't show business. This is entertainment. Right. And it made perfect sense.
0: I think we can end on that. Blaine Patch, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's our show. That's Blaine Kapatch. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for my presence. Thank you for for all your support. Uh, I I certainly appreciate it because it feels good. Go to WTFPod.com. Kick in a few shekels. Do the $250 one-shot premium podcast donation package. I'll send you a couple T-shirts, a few CDs, the uh, exclusive... Best of WTF Volume 1 CD Some stickers Got new shirts at WTFPod.com you can, uh, We now have a distributor that deals in American apparel uh, So no more shirts that smell like cats or coffee Or have been sitting in my garage Go to PunchWineMagazine.com for all that Go to WTFPodShop.com for the premium episodes The, the last one is great With Eugene Merman, Kristen Shaw, John Glazer Good times, Sam Cedar, Again, uh, mostly good times I love Sam I want to congratulate my brother for getting a job He was among the unemployed for months and months uh, And and what a godsend If you believe in that kind of stuff uh, I'm just grateful that, that he got work And I know a lot of people out there are struggling And uh, there is hope uh, There are good people in the world um, I, I have to believe that is true Does that mean I'm getting better? Does that mean I'm I don't know I'll talk to you next week